1 Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground. And it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcast, And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know. Hi, friends. Welcome to another episode of Rev Recovery. I'm one of your hosts, Sarah Heath, and along with Justin Gentry, we are happy to present to you this podcast uh, for folks who are leaving ministry, thinking about leaving ministry, having a transition in ministry, know anyone in ministry. Basically, it's a podcast about transitions. And so we are grateful today to host our friend, Derek Myers. Derek Myers is one of the content creators behind Your Favorite Heretics, an Instagram account that has really become a place of sanctuary and conversation and just a place for people to talk about what does it mean when you no longer are part of a community that had religious trauma and how to navigate life after having a shift in faith. And so we hope that you enjoyed this conversation with Derek. It also has some great uh, little notes on parenting. So if that is something that you've been wondering, how do you parent after you have left the structure of Christianity or maybe a church? And a great question of uh, when do you stay? When do you go? So we hope that you enjoy this episode of Rev Covering and stick around for the end for the home. Hello, friends. Again, thank you for joining us for another episode of Rev Covery. We are excited to be together today, of course, uh, as always. <laughs> but we're really excited to have our friend Derek, who's like our friend in real life. We met you in real life at Wild Goose, although I had FaceTimed with you when you were at your Promise Breakers conference, which <laughs> is a very loose term, but it was a group of most men-ish people is how Kevin describes it. Man-ish people. Yes. We were gathered together and decided to call it a Promise Breakers conference, and I kept getting FaceTimed, which was delightful. In fact, it's funny that you bring that up. We have a little group chat that goes back and forth. We've stayed pretty active with it, which has been fun, but we started planning for 2023, so... Try to get on this list. So Derek, tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us about kind of your experience in the church, if you don't mind, kind of share with us a little bit about, yeah, that part. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, my name is... Derek Myers, and I am a recovering called to ministry person. Um, that's that was a really <laughs> eloquent way of saying that. No, I let's see. I grew up pretty standard, non-denominational evangelical Christian. You know, apparently prayed the prayer before I could even put complete sentences together. Somehow, no. Literally, oh, like I was probably three or four. One a true blessing from the Lord. Then, oh, amen. You know. <laughs> Before my, you know, before the foundations of the earth, I was, mm-hmm. I was predestined. So you just you came out, sa- you came out saved. Yeah. I mean, basically. So <laughs> let's see around five, I think I asked to be baptized. How much of that was wanting to please my parents? I don't know, but I do have vivid memories meeting in my pastor's office at the time. And then also remember being in the baptismal at five, looking out into this mega church's 
you know, auditorium. <laughs> but anyway, it, so core memories are was being that, unlocked. Was that like a good feeling or was it like a, you know, honestly, I, I do remember it being like a good feeling at the time, yeah. which is because you're fine. Interesting. Yeah. And while a lot of my story is intermixed with a lot of trauma and just horrible outworking of the theology that I was indoctrinated with, you know, there are plenty of bright spots, of course, throughout that uh, process, which is usually how life works. But, you know, right around the, I'd say my early time into college, I kind of made this transition of where I felt a a call to ministry, if you will. (laughs) And so I began serving in youth ministry at the time and figuring out like what it was like to want to be a worship leader as well and and all that stuff. So you were a musician as well? Yes. Yes. And so, you know, I I learned, you know, the, the G, C, E minor D, uh, chord structure and the rest is history, you know. Yeah, <laughs> I was ready to, and then what, your eyes were open. The, the heart, yeah. open the heart of your eyes. You were ready. Open the heart of my eyes. Yes, yes. absolutely. And <laughs> Jess is only laughing because all three of us have taken this route. <laughs> yeah. It's it's the gateway drug to ministry, I guess. So mm-hmm. so anyway, yeah, I think along those uh, and around that time is when. You know, I got interested in going to Bible college and then experienced deep depression. I had undiagnosed OCD, found out later on with an official diagnosis what I was going through. But at the time, I, you know, I went through Steps to Freedom, which is a very, very harmful process of excavating your life and repenting of hidden sin and forgiving people and doing all these things and having demons cast out of you for stuff. It's like so harmful. (laughs) It's like, no, I just had undiagnosed OCD and I was seriously depressed. So that was a lot of my story. And then I I met Rachel in Bible college. She started deconstructing, you know, much earlier than I did. And we kind of found our way at a crossroads and it was kind of around those, that point where we decided to to start your favorite heretics. What is your favorite heretics? So that was a, a platform that we started back in 2020. Originally, Rachel had wanted to do a, a page called Your Favorite Heretic. She's like, you know what? Why don't we do it together? And so it was basically to kind of point friends and family to a resource instead of answering every single DM or coffee invite. <laughs> it was like, hey, this is what's going on. This is what we are believing at the moment. This is why we don't believe the bullshit we used to, you know, that kind of thing. And so it kind of ended up taking on a life of its own. And we kind of had to pump the brakes and reevaluate what we were doing. So that's kind of how that got started. What platform was it on originally? Instagram. Yeah. And we had a, a post on church trauma of all things that really struck a nerve and was shared many of times, a lot on Facebook too. Someone took it and shared it and stuff. But yeah, I mean, it just kind of, I think, exposed a, a big glaring issue, obviously, that many of us who have deconstructed are continuously uh, talking about is just the the phenomena of, of spiritual abuse and, and trauma that exists within the church and just 
hearing so many people come to us with their their stories and saying, I've never told this to anyone, but they're in our yeah. DMs talking about these very, very yeah. personal accounts of of abuse and, and different things that they've gone through. I mean, it was so eye-opening. I know it, it really impacted me as much, if not more in some ways than some people were even impacted by some of, of uh, the words that we were able to share. So anyway, that, that I think really opened our eyes to the the importance of advocating for so many people who feel like they don't have a voice, um, where they feel silenced as survivors of abuse and those who have gone through any form of trauma. Because, you know, when you are raised in a system that empowers the abuser and silences the the survivor, it doesn't really give much room to heal or to, to feel empowered. Uh, so I think that we really felt like there was something that we were handed, whether or not we were setting out to do that is a completely different story. But it was kind of like we found ourselves at at this point of being like, okay, we are basically introduced to a whole new, I guess, world in a sense of people who have similarly experienced so much pain and have never felt like they've been, have never felt like they've really been heard, you know? And so I think the hearing people say how much you know, they've been able to find themselves and in, in some of the things that we've been able to share has meant the world to me. So so can I ask, what was the post that went viral? What was the one that hit people so hard? Yeah, it was called Church Trauma Part One. <laughs> we did a two-part series on it and we just had us like slides that had, you know, various points. And so, you know, we talked about things like, you know, as specific as, you know, the the obsession around like Harry Potter and like how people thought that was like witchcraft and, you know, right. even topics around the harm of taking advantage of people's time with regard to volunteer service and how so many folks are taken advantage of, you know, the abuse around just like how a lot of churches are dishonest around money and will manipulate people to give, you know, th things along those lines that I think people wouldn't necessarily be like, oh no, that's that's abusive. They would just be like, oh no, that's just a thing, you know? And I think people really felt like, oh God, like, no, that's, that is, let's let's call a spade a spade, you know? Yeah. So. I, I think it's interesting when you do this kind of work, at least this has happened to me, and the, the pushback tends to be like, oh, well, why can't you just leave? Like, why do you have right. to keep pointing it out? Why can't you just, you know, if you're, if you're not going to church anymore, just why, why do you even care? And I, and I think you articulate it very well that, you know, they're, hello, there's abuse happening. <laughs> like, and I, why would you stay in if mm -hmm. this mm -hmm. is what's happening? But at the same time, it's, it becomes so insidious. And we've talked about it on this show so many times that pastors get burnt out. Mm -hmm. Pastors get burnt out and accidentally burn out or purposely burn out volunteers. And the abuse just continues to perpetuate itself. But you don't know it because you're like, I'm serving the Lord. Right. Uh, and you can... You can handle a lot. Turn, turns out human brains can handle a lot when they think they're doing it for the Lord. And it's, it, that's, that can be a good thing, but that unfortunately uh, has been used very poorly. As you continue to kind of do this work, have you noticed any shifts in the way churches respond or in the way you're really in it Christians respond? Or is it is it kind of just the same treadmill over and over again, just different players? That's a really interesting question. I think we're in a point 
where our account is not very active as much. And so I'm, I'm at a personal crossroads where I'm trying to figure out kind of the next phases of what it means to be evolving and, you know, continuing to heal and transform. I've, I've really found comfort and significance around the term spiritual fluidity. And why I I bring that up is because how I want to advocate for those who are deconstructing, I think are, are, are for those who don't feel like they have a home. I think, you know, it's interesting that Jesus said that he, he didn't have a, you know, a place to lay his head. And I, I think that that can be taken in so many different ways. And I, I feel like many of us feel like we're wanderers, spiritual nomads, if you will. Like we don't, yeah. we don't feel like we have a place to call home. You know, we don't quite fit in in the same spaces that we used to, obviously. There was an incredible example. Like, I don't know if you saw it today, Justin, in the Discord, that one of our listeners used the example of the, everyone's seen the movie Elf, I'm assuming. If not, yeah. go immediately. Spoiler alert for Elf. Turn this off. <laughs> watch it immediately. Uh, in the in the story, um, Buddy's leaving to go find his dad, and he has to, like, cross this threshold, and he's on an iceberg. And he steps off the iceberg. And then when he turns around the iceberg, it's gone. And he said, that's how he feels. Like once he started to deconstruct, he can't go backwards. He can't step backwards. Nothing is the same. And there's great grief in that. And I just thought it was the most perfect analogy for what happens when you start asking these questions and allow Mm -hmm. yourself to be quote unquote, spiritually fluid and open to other things. It is both this like open. I'll remember sitting with someone one time who was crying and saying to me like, but I love people more than I ever have. But I also just have this grief of what once was will never be again. And my assurity is gone. And all these things that I had to sort of trade for a sense of honesty and a sense of integrity and a sense of kind of being willing to take the next step. So yeah, spiritual fluidity. Yeah. And, and I mean, you, you hit it, that, that honesty piece, there comes a, at least for me, there was a boiling point within me is that either I can keep this under wraps and preserve some illusion of acceptance from people who think they know me, but don't really know the intimate parts of me, or I can choose to bravely open up and share things about what I'm processing and thinking. And that was really when I became public with deconstruction is particular, particularly around the topic of hell. And I remember it was, I first started to unpack this when I became a dad. I remember looking at my son when he was first born. Now, how could I believe that a God who's love would ever do that to anyone else that he's created in his image and calls his child, but for an on an eternal scale, like roast them for eternity. And it's like, I, I came to this point, either, either I am more loving of a dad than than this God who I call Abba, or my idea of what the divine is, is completely inconsistent with what love is. And so that began a whole process for me. And I wasn't completely ready to have my world shattered at that point. Weird. You know, just so you weren't ready to just blow it all up right there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think I, I chose to dig my heels deeper in cognitive dissonance yeah, at that yeah. point, which you can do, I think at certain points, but I, that boiling analogy I was talking about, there just reaches a point where it's like the capacity that you have to, to, to keep stuffing it down, stuffing, stuffing it down, stuffing it down. It just, it's bound to come up. Yeah. I, and, I, yeah. Sure. And it's like, once you see something, you can't unsee it. And to that person's point about the iceberg, I mean, that, that's how I, I say it. It's like, 
I can't pretend like I haven't seen these things about the truth of the original languages behind where we arrived at our modern concept of eternal conscious torment and the the immense distortion that that is of justice, of love, of even what the scriptures are saying. But again, that 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 has to happen with us saying, I'm willing to let go of what's popularly and popular and conventionally accepted to say, you know, I'm I'm gonna trust that there's something more here that's pulling me. And I would dare to say that that's spirit. So you said what's popular. Was your community still like has your community always been wrapped in that same narrative? Because I think that's that we find that it's fascinating. Some folks who go through this sort of uh, experience, if their community is largely sort of around church folk, it's a slower process for a lot of folks. Yeah. Was your community as you're going through all these thoughts? Like, I'm just imagining you in this, like, row of people and all of your shit. And you're like, what if hell's not real? And everyone's like, what <laughs> the fuck you just say? Um, no, literally, like- I, I went to Rachel at the time who wasn't, like, theologically there. I think she was, like, emotionally there. Like, I don't know how to yeah. quite articulate that well. Like, she was over a lot of the bullshit within this particular church we were part of at the time. And she's like, I don't want anything to do with this. They're, yeah. they're fake. <laughs> I think it happens on, I think it happens on levels like that sometimes like yeah. cognitively you're like, yeah, I believe in hell, but like your internal. Yeah. Like, and then just one, one, at least for me, the experience a lot of times is one day my brain catches up. Yeah. I'm like, Oh, I haven't believed that for years. Yeah. I just, yeah. I just kept telling myself I did. Yeah. And, and that, that's kind of how it was for me. I think it's like I had this suspicion lurking in the background of my consciousness that didn't believe that to be true, of, especially my experience of the divine and, and my various real moments that I think I had with God throughout my life. Like none of those moments were I experienced goodness and love and beauty and wonder and awe and just this I don't know, this uncovering of the infinite, like uh, whatever glimpse that I have had in those moments of, you know, um, I don't don't even know what you'd want to call that. Um, But those those moments where you're like, there's something more at play here where I I can sense God, whatever, however you want to phrase that. I I never once got an impression that God was this angry, retributive, two-faced being that was you know, just hell bent on punishing everybody. Like, yeah. And so there's something in inside everyone, I think inherently that knows that, but doesn't always dare to take that process of actually believing in. And so I think that that's to your point, Justin is like, it took my mind a lot longer to make that 18 inch journey from that, the head to the heart kind of deal. And, you know, so when I had that conversation with Rachel and she's like, no, this is crazy. Like, I was like, okay, maybe I'm not ready to like fully unpack this or admit this to everybody, <laughs> but it, like, still you, like bring it to your partner and you're like, Hey, here's this little <laughs> baby bird thing I'm thinking about. And she, mm-hmm. she's like, no, <laughs> she's like, no, no. I'm like, okay, usually you're right. So maybe I am wrong. Like it was kind of one of those things, but no, I mean, a, a lot of, I was working at a, for a company that helped churches and ministries with their legal compliance and getting their 501c3. And then I was a part of a mega church doing a lot of like worship ministry. So like my entire world, like I was just leaving like, you know, a Bible college and missionary training. So like I was, I was wrapped up in that. Like my, 
everything was like in that context. So having like the extent of my non-Christian interaction was like my atheist brother-in-law who I felt like I needed to argue with and convince he was wrong. Like, so it just, it, How it was- How are you guys now? We're super close. We, we have, we've always had great conversations. Like even when I was, you know, still very evangelical, but he was always such a good sport. Like he was so patient. He's like, listening to me go on and on about these things. I, I commend him because honestly I would have been like, dude, shut up. Like <laughs> but he I was think so sometimes when people don't have the trauma, like I I had uh, the experience of being in a relationship with someone who is a agnostic atheist. And I would be like, ah, oh, this and this. And he's like, yeah, I don't have any of that trauma. <laughs> I was like, fair. <laughs> like, like this thing happened and these people are mad at these people. And there's like this really weird thing. And he's like, I'm trying really hard to understand, but I don't, I don't have any of that anxiety. It's, like, of that. it's like, like meeting I'm someone. Jealous. It's like meeting someone whose like soul is like this, like fresh, like fallen snow. Like you yeah. just like, like what, how, how did, how did this happen? Like, right. What is it like to life? not so, have taken the, the pill just to, you yeah. know, the, the matrix moment. Like, what is it yeah. like to just not, I feel like there is, there's so much too about, I don't know if you felt this way, but we talk a lot in our discord. We talk a lot in our community about some of the shame that's unique to having served in ministry. So there's a shift that happens for folks, for a lot of folks in the deconstructing community shift happens. Okay. That's fine. That's where we're at. But then when you have to be like, Hey, that thing I've been like trying to convince all of you of for the last turns out I might be wrong, but like I might have been really good at convincing you guys. It it's a different kind of shame and it takes a different like I'm imagining that first conversation where you playfully responded to your atheist brother-in-law, like, hey, some of the things that I argued with you about don't make sense to me anymore. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was even God, you ever get those Facebook memories or whatever and it just like Wow. Uh I get to look back at how, how fundy I was like, you know, just some of these, you put the fun and fundamentalist. (laughs) I occasionally um, post those as just like a, to make myself humble, like what what I used to believe. Wow. Yeah. So I I was watching actually like a, like a Facebook live I did. It was, it was a short one, but I was like giving this earnest encouragement about, you know, like no matter where you're at, like, the clouds may be hiding God's face, but he's smiling on you. And like, like I'm so well-meaning, but like some of the things Mm -hmm. I'm like, man, I wish I could just like believe that simply. Like it would be really nice. Right. I miss the simplicity of things, you know, like, honestly, there's a lot of nostalgia at times as much as there is that like, Ooh, this is cringe. There's that nostalgia of like, it was like simpler. It was simpler. It was an easy answer. It was, you know, today I had a literal meltdown working on, I'm a speaker at a youth event and I love these kids, love them. There's thousands of them. This is the largest event I've done in my career. And I'm going back for the five-year reunion and they've asked me to speak on wellness and healing. And so yeah. uh, the person opening it up is a former intern of mine, is amazing, but is very much still in that very evangelical space. And so looking at the verses that have been selected for us, I'm like, how do I, how do I talk about this, right? Yeah. How do I, someone who has very little connection to miracle, someone mm. who on a lot of days is like, 
I don't know about a lot of this stuff, but is highly educated in it and know, I know I'm a compelling speaker. I know all this stuff. And I lit, I have been, um, I'm a, I'm a person who like, I was really good at school guys. I love an assignment. I love to get an assignment done. I've been procrastinating in a way that I can only describe as paralyzing for the last six months trying to write this. I've, I've known it's come literally this today was the day they wanted me to turn the verses in. I was going to speak on and I did everything I could to avoid it until I just laid on my yoga mat and cried and said, I don't know how to write this because I have shifted so much, but I, I wish I could say that. And then God heals us if we just have enough faith to touch the hem of God's, you know, garment. What? Wow. Like, what does that like, even mean to a kid like, who's struggling? Yeah. The, the intensity of what you're going through is, is not the same, but that, that's how I felt my last, like, probably six months of ministry was like, like, it's so rapidly, like, I, and I, I had people like pulling me aside. Like, hey, Justin, you're, uh, you appear to be thinking that maybe Jesus didn't need to die (laughs) (laughs) on Easter. (laughs) Like, can you tell us more about that? Like, uh, you know, like, yeah, yeah. Deconstructing while also having to give something beneficial and powerful and good to an audience that maybe isn't quite ready to be where you're at is that is, I, I can say with confidence, Sarah, that, that a lot of people know what that feels like. In well, her, and honesty is my yeah. brand, right? Like uh, yeah. authenticity is literally a book that the publishing yeah. house asked me to write. Like I don't do inauthentic, not intentionally. Yeah. And so this earnestness that you're talking about, I, sometimes guys, I miss her. Mm. I miss mm. the girl who could just tell all the teenagers that everything that hurts right now gets better if you can just believe right. And so then they all go home and feel good about it talk to their counselors, say the prayer, do the thing. And this is not what the organizers of this are asking of me because they're incredible, oh, incredible, incredible people. But I want to give a message that is both uplifting, hopeful, not overly filled with my trauma. And <laughs> like I started writing and I was like, there is a difference between curing and healing. <laughs> like I start off being like, so many times we're told if we pray for someone, it's going to cure them. And that is not healing necessarily not every healing involves a curing and also let's not talk about healing let's talk about wellness and i was like i don't this is this is a weird way to start from like a 14 year old girl who's like i don't know if my boyfriend likes me anymore i'm like let me tell you how i feel let me tell Uh, you he doesn't just gonna rip that band-aid off right now yeah let's rip that off (laughs) so i just think there's so much to be said about missing earnest like yeah i think we do miss Ernest Derek and Ernest Justin and Ernest Sarah, and yet we can't stay there. First Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change, it's a podcast about seeking moral high ground, and it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcast, And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know. Yeah, I think to your point too, Sarah, like I think we oftentimes wanted healing to look like this, you know, finger of God, like, you know, supernatural moment of just like everything. <laughs> in a moment is just better. And 
you know, when I hear you talk about honesty and authenticity, that's what healing means to me. I can, I, I know that the moments that I've dared to be honest most with myself and even with God have been the most healing moments for me, but also the most terrifying. Like, honestly, I mean, like those are, it is so much more comfortable for me to hide behind a mask of mm-hmm. I've whatever version of myself makes everybody else happy, including my idea of what the divine wants, even at times, you know, especially with my upbringing and the baggage and the residue of of that type of thinking. But I know for me, there's something profoundly freeing and healing about just laying it all out. Just, this is it. This is, this is, I'm laying my soul bare. And I don't know, like, I know for me, that's been a lot of where healings come from. Like, I don't have to hide anything. And if you accept me, great. If you don't, okay. And even if it's not even down to acceptance, it's like, this is just where I am, am, and I can admit this, <laughs> you know, it's like that. I've just gotten it all out, you know? And what has the, so you, to give a little timeline, you have this, I don't know if hell's real. Is that before, after you started your favorite heretic? Before. Before. So you're already yeah. kind of like pulling on this thread. And then oh, yeah. Well into that. Yarn comes. Yeah. You're just not yeah. your favorite heretic yet. Yeah. You're I didn't just, earn that just, badge of honor yet. You're just uh, a heretic at this point. Yeah. I had to climb the ladder of heretics. I had to kill a few off. I mean, we won't talk about that. That was a dark totally, time. Totally, that makes journey. sense. Yeah, you know, burned a few at the stake. We had to keep with the tradition. So, but your only favorite. In you're doing a little Apostle Paul thing. It. You gotta like, you know, gotta give a little, take a little. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. How did you? You guys both sort of. It sounds like you came to Rachel and you're like, ah, and she's like, I don't know, and then like <laughs> eventually you guys kind of met in this space because she's the one who wanted to start it. So clearly she came a certain direction. I just feel like that's such a lovely and hopeful message for some people, because some people for us that we encounter, it's their significant others that it's scary to, to start to reveal. You can be like honest about most things, but being honest about like, maybe I don't believe what you believe when we've been taught. Now I understand that in like the general population, people are in relationships where they don't believe the same thing. But we've been taught this um, language of unequally yoked, as if oh, once boy. you figure out your level of yokedness, yeah. then you just yeah. stick in that same level of yoke. <laughs> and, and it's funny that that's the only real criteria for like agreement in Christian marriages. It's do you agree on your faith? Yes. Well, yeah, if you're, of course, a lot of evangelical Christian marriages, like you're a boy, you're a girl, you agree. You, this is this is all you need. Um, Congrats! Um, you're you burning this, with you're, like you're, sexual, like whatever, like yeah, sexual yeah. energy. You need to get married now. Which yeah, right absolutely. Now. Story. Go for it. Yeah, and but any relationship, not just marriage, is more than just agreement to a set of tenets. Weird. Funny how that works. It's almost like you know that was invented after friendship. <laughs> And Look, relationship. Also, you have to understand that Justin and I are just getting back from a week of being with Process Theologians. So we're starting oh the my life. God. Like, everything is in, pro- you know. Let's and, go. Let's yeah, let's bust out my, Process My favorite theology. thing to do as a joke at that was to just like stand in the middle of them and being like, hey guys, um, what's Process Theology? Oh, it's <laughs> the best. <laughs> oh, let me explain. I, yeah, um, oh my God. I think there's this, this idea though in relationship that you guys had to negotiate um and that was a reality that everyone has to negotiate 
which is that my spouse changes. And that doesn't actually mean our connection changes. In fact, it's problematic if neither of us are changing at all. And so this, if you've been told that you have to judge your healthiness of your relationship on whether or not you guys are in the same lane, it really, we, we, I think we rush by it too quickly when we, we don't like notice or even almost pay attention to the fact like what a gift it is that you guys ended up in the same lane or willing to like sort of hold the tension of you don't think what I think, but, that, but we're still okay. Because the yeah. number of people who have come to me devastated because their spouses don't want to be involved anymore. And the reaction, me holding a non-anxious reaction is like, okay, do you need them to believe what you believe? Because you sound like you're not really like into hell. So if you're, worried, if you're worried about the eternal salvation, I get it. But if you're not into that, then like, why do you need them to think the same? Yeah. Is everything else going fine? And then you might be okay. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it's, it is interesting though. Justin, you, your comment earlier really made me think about how much you know, we were conditioned in all sorts of facets of our, our lives within the church to just mentally assent to the same ideas. And it's just about agreeing with theology. And it's not about, you know, <laughs> so many other important facets of being a human. And it's true about marriage. Like, you know, you're taught to tick these boxes and like, there you go, there you have it. Everything's going to work out and you're going to have this amazing marriage and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, to your point, Sarah, like we change, we go through very challenging times and yeah, it's deconstruction only magnifies all of that. And I I mean, Rachel and I, from the very moment of we started dating, like we, we had seen things very differently. And I think deconstruction, we had a moment of we're like, oh, we're kind of in the same, like neighborhood zip code wait maybe. a minute <laughs> <laughs> what is this what's happening so that was cool but yeah like we're very like i i don't love the label christian i don't really feel at home with it which is why i talk about spiritual fluid, fluidity i will always love the fact that my tradition is christianity i think because it's my native tongue i i think that i still am very much i believe i'm in relationship with christ like i i I want to model my life around that. However, Rachel is very comfortable with calling herself a atheist humanist. So it's like, again, we're in a different space. But again, it's just another aspect mm. of the process of life where we are, and to my point about fluidity, like we're constantly evolving process theology. We're constantly becoming. And so, but it's true though. And I think that I saw somebody retweet this and i have no idea who tweeted it but it was something along the lines of like it's funny that we think we can control our spiritual journey or something like that like yeah. you know like how much of us just woke up one morning and be like i'm going to deconstruct and ruin my entire life and just risk all of my relationships you know but according to so many pastors within evangelicalism we wanted street cred and to be sexy and you know just to to be cool but I had both those things before I deconstructed. Thank you very much. <laughs> Justin, Justin, I was going to say. Justin I, was just walking around with abundance of street cred and sexiness. Yeah. Literally, that's, <laughs> it's, it, that is I his, had too uh, much, LinkedIn, honestly. LinkedIn, Justin Gentry. Street cred and sexiness. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I want to ask a question. Maybe it's a big question for both of you. But because you brought it up, this idea of looking at your kid and saying, I can't imagine wanting harm to come to this child. I can't imagine. And so 
almost then you start to question the theology that you're passing down to your kids. What has this process been like to parent as you're shifting? And you can, and, and that's to both of you, because having a kid seems like a very fearful thing, a very big thing. I find it interesting. My therapist works with me uh, using my niece and nephew almost as like good frameworks. Like, would you want that for your niece? No. Then why do you think it's okay to want that for you? Like, as far why is it okay that you think that about you? Because th that love of my niece and nephew uh, is so big in me. But I imagine a child that you're staring at, someone that like makes you start questioning the God of the universe. <laughs> like, hello, there's no way. What has that been like? What are your fears around it? If you guys don't mind, because I know that's a big thing people talk about as well. Yeah, that, I mean, that is that is a really big question. I I think it's really shown me how much I don't know about what I'm doing on a daily <laughs> basis. I think more than anything, my driving desire, though I fail pretty consistently at it, is that my kids would know that they're loved and I want them to to be fiercely themselves and for them to grow into the most authentic form of themselves as they feel really safe and loved as they do so. And I think early on in deconstruction, I was really scared about like what it would look like to help them develop some form of understanding of God and, and all these things as I'm questioning the whole gamut. But I don't know. I'm I'm just I'm kind of curious to see what what happens. They they won't grow up with a lot of the baggage that I had to, for better or for worse, most yeah, likely yeah. for better, <laughs> which I'm thankful for. So get to you know spare them from a lot of trauma. But you know I, I totally admit that I I don't really feel like I know what I'm doing on a lot. And there's many days where I'm beating my head against the wall, like I don't know if I have what it takes to do this thing. Like, <laughs> but I love them so much and I'm so thankful to to have both my boys. They are they mean the world to me. And I just want them to again, I don't mean to sound like a broken record. I just want them to know how deeply they're loved just for who they are and for them to really discover as they grow up to to be well acquainted with who they are and to never hide that but to to truly truly like explore themselves. Yeah. That's really good. What about you, Justin? What was it like? It's interesting to not have the answers um, laid out in front of you. That's yeah, I've got to think that's hard as a someone raised in a toxic masculine setting. Yeah. As well as then like layer on Christianity. So there's like that. Yeah. It's like I have to be a man and a provider and all these things. And not that right. being a man or a provider is bad, but there's the like spiritual head of the house. Yeah. There's, <laughs> there's being a man and there's being a man like trademark, you know, like and I, not the second one, please. Um, I hear Mark Driscoll yelling in the background. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah. How dare yeah. you? Yeah. Trigger yeah. warning. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Um, so, so the, I mean, there's, there's that. I think if for me, I'm, I'll say two things. I'll think, I think curiosity is a very important thing. Yeah. Yeah. Derek, you were there this morning at the deconstruction coffee hour, which I highly recommend for anyone that is interested. It's talking, on talking is on Twitter. Twitter spaces. Um, Twitter spaces. Talking about how Christian supremacy or even just Christian culture is kind of like what we swim in. And, and our kids, even though they're not being raised with it in their face, it's still there. I mean, I, my, I had a conversation with my daughter that she, she was feeling pressure to pick a faith 
you know, whether she wanted to be pagan or Christian or whatever. She has a Jewish friend too. So we were kind of just tossing out faiths. <laughs> I was like, you, and I, I, I paused for a second. I was like, you don't need to pick like, and she was like, I, yeah. I was like, no, like, let's just stay curious and ask questions and try things on. And maybe when you're like 15 or 16, we can talk about picking, but also if you pick, you can, you can change your mind. So like trying to like have a little more looseness and curiosity in, in all things. And I think, I think that's the kind of the posture I've tried to take. I think also parenting is different in our generation, maybe I hate generation. Ugh, ugh, I hate that word. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I mean, no offense, mom, if you're listening, but y- y'all had to be reminded to figure out where your kids were at 11 p.m. Like, <laughs> like. Also, you let us play with rabbit's feet. Yes. Like, I'm still not over that. I'm not. No, sorry. <laughs> I had an actual rabbit's foot. I did too. Neon Gross. Pink. Anyway, so, but also I think there was a lot of like sacrifice to the point of maybe Trump, like giving your kid trauma. <laughs> putting your happiness off. And so like, I think in my parenting, I'm trying to model for my kids. Like, like I want them to see, I want them to look back and see, like my dad was really happy and my dad was really healthy Mm. and he made that a priority. And I want that too. Not my dad sacrificed everything for me, put all of his dreams on the table, never did anything for himself, but Hey, I'm, I got through college. Like I, I think that that's a paradigm shift. It's subtle because obviously I'm going to sacrifice for my kids too. It's not like it's all about me or anything, but I do think that kind of taking a step back from that, the overt Christian metaphor of dying (laughs) and being like, you know what? We can sacrifice, but we can also be healthy and happy. Like those things are not necessarily mutually exclusive and mom and dad are full humans too. And we want you to be full humans. And, and in some ways, how dare we, say you get to be happy and healthy, but we didn't, you get to have a life and we don't. I th- Cause I think that's just, we're, we're setting them up to do the same thing over and over again. And, and yeah. that's just being mindful of generational, generational trauma, generational sins, if you want a Christian word and, and being a cycle breaker. And that's, that's not fun, but it's something I think we are, it's a moment that we're in for sure. That's great points. Well, thank you guys both. Derek as uh where, before we like, what is something that you think has been really helpful in this whole process? Where are the places where you found hope in this for folks who are listening, who are like, I thought I felt the call too, or I know how to play all those chords. Like where, where do you feel like, is there one tangible thing people can do to sort of in this time and in this process? Yeah. I think that it's like looking at a diamond from different angles. We're going to see new aspects of it. And I think that there's something true universally to the fact that we felt a greater pull on our lives to make a difference in the world and help people in their spiritual evolution and their connection to the divine. I think there's something intrinsically wonderful about that. And whether or not people want to hold on to that forever or not, I don't think it it delegitimize illegitimizes it. I hope that's a word. If not, I just made Illegitimate. it a word. That sounds right. It's sounds sweet. Me. It, basically my point is, is like this is an ongoing thing that I'm revisiting. In fact, our mutual friend Bradley, uh, he actually and I were having a conversation not too long ago, and he was reminding me that like we can reclaim the word calling, and it doesn't have to just be like this evangelical, you know, term around ministry. Um, it, it can definitely be a sense of us, you know, coming to a place of 
of knowing what our deepest passions and longings are and to make a difference in people's lives and help them and to to see people change and grow and heal and evolve and you know find freedom and and things and, and discover you know a deeper sense of self-love and and all these wonderful things that I think we thought only applied in a, in a particular way or in one you know sort of flavor if you will but I think that curiosity piece Justin has definitely been in tandem with the spiritual fluidity for me as well is that like I I I want to be curious about what the deeper thing underneath even a call to ministry is like, why, why did I feel that a long time ago? And like, what could that mean today of like my life and, and how I can take these desires of my heart and bring them to life in the world around me? How can I help people come to a deeper sense of loving themselves? How can I remind someone that, you know, they're not alone in deconstructing, you know, whatever it may look like. I mean, those are, those are gifts to give to to everyone. And I think that, you know, again, going back to my point earlier, it's just another, another angle of, of turning the diamond to see something beautiful that's within you. So. Well, thank you so much. Where can folks find you? I think you already told us, but where is the, the work of your favorite heretic? Yeah, they can find me in Georgia. If they want to come to Georgia now. Um, That's creepy. That would be really creepy. I got a knock on my, yeah, got a knock on my door tonight at like two in the morning. I found you. God, (laughs) please don't find me anymore. You're the favorite heretic in Georgia. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, no, they can find me on uh, Twitter at Derek the Heretic, TikTok as well. uh, Derek the Heretic. Of course, our Instagram, Your Favorite Heretics, is where. All of our stuff is, uh, you know, I'm still sharing things here and there, just not as active on that space in particular. We still have, you know, a great log and ba- a backlog of mm-hmm. content and different things I, I definitely think would be helpful for people to check out. Yeah. And I, I think those are some good spaces. We have a wonderful Facebook community called Your Favorite Heretics Discussion Group. Community Discussion Group, uh, I think is what it is, the full name. But anyway, um, there's a lot of people who are sharing their stories and sharing memes, laughing about things, crying about things in, in different ways, finding friendships. I know for me early on in deconstruction, if it wasn't through some Facebook groups, um, I wouldn't have met a lot of my friends that I have today. And um, I think that was really important to me. So being able to return that and extend that back out in a different way was a big fulfillment to me. Yeah. And so if people are looking to meet other like-minded folks, I think that would be a really great space to, to, to join. So. Well, thank you so, so much. And thank you friends for joining us for another episode of Rev Coffee. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you are enjoying the conversations you hear on Rev Covery, you can continue the conversation with us and many more incredible people in the Rev Covery room on discord to access our discord please join our Patreon to become part of the Rev Covery Room community. You can join for as little as $4 a month, and this helps us produce the show, as well as gives you access to the community resources. Check it out at www.patreon.com revcovery. We know that not everyone is able to financially support the show, but there are lots of ways to support us, including giving us a five-star review wherever you're listening right now. And make sure to like and subscribe across all social media. Recovery Room is our Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook handle, so you can find us there to keep the conversation going. Now on to some final thoughts and this week's poem. 
Thanks again for sticking around for the end. As always, we like to end with a poem or a quote or a song lyric or something that just sort of puts words to what we have just experienced in the conversation. Both Justin and I find that oftentimes we find the words that maybe we couldn't find on our own in these sort of spaces in poetry or song lyrics or quote. So today is from, I know, uh, one of my favorite <laughs> poets. And if you've been listening to the show long, you know that John O'Donohue and I uh, just have an incredible relationship. He's not alive anymore, but I <laughs> read his work all the time. And I've never met him. But I tell you what, his stuff often gives me so much, I don't know, discomfort during this. So as we were talking, I thought about this um, blessing that he wrote called For Belonging. Um, and it talks about listening to your longing to be free and having a kindness as you gaze within. So I thought I would read uh, this. So this is For Belonging from John O'Donohue. May you listen to your longing to be free. May the frames of your belonging be generous enough for your dreams. May you rise each day with a voice of blessing whispering in your heart. May you find a harmony between your soul and your life. May the sanctuary of your soul never become haunted. May you know the eternal longing that lives at the heart of time. May there be kindness in your gaze when you look within. May you never place walls between the light and yourself. May you allow the wild beauty of the invisible world to gather you, mind you, and embrace you in belonging. Friends, thanks again for listening to another episode of Recovery. We'll see you next week. First Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground. And it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know.